To win a championship, you need vision and hard work, leadership and chemistry. To overcome adversity and disadvantage on the biggest stages in basketball, determination, obsession, and esprit de corps are all requirements. In the NBA, this can be summed up by one position, the point guard. For those who have played the position at the highest level, they are not simply superstars or legends. They are known as point guards. The point guard position has changed over the years. To some degree, it is because of philosophies like seven second possessions, the charcuterie board offense, and switch everything defense. But it's also changed because of a belief that talent and size have no limits. We see this in players like Luka Doncic and LeBron James. Offenses unto themselves, having taken skills and wisdom from the great point gods who played before them, like Thanos taking Infinity Stones. On this episode of Jurassic Views, my friend, neighbor, and fellow point guard, John Turkel and I, discussed the point gods that influenced our game as young point guards and impacted the game in the NBA to help it reach the heights it is at now. We hope you enjoy this conversation, an episode we're calling Brandishing Like Kenny Anderson. I'm like Neo now. <laughs> oh, that was good. That was good. That's Morpheus. today on Jurassic Views. Unfortunately, no Courtney Wright, no Zaya Quiena, but a guest who just lives down the street, a stone's throw away, on Jurassic Views, first time on the pod, highly anticipated. Don't know if it ever will be duplicated, but my man John Turkel is here. John, great to have you on the pod. Bryce, it's an honor. I'm a little bit worried. Never duplicated. I guess that means I'm not getting another call to come back. I guess, but uh, when it, when an when an episode is original, it means you can't, you know, make copies because they're just like too they're too beneath the original. So All right, this one here is, you know, is is never going to be duplicated. It's an honor. Thank you. We'll also have Zaya probably with us the next time he sends uh, his his regrets and greetings. Courtney Wright might want to get in on this. I mean. This is special that I get to have a little one-on-one with a man, Absolutely. John. Uh, now, John, before we get into our main discussion for today, which we will, um, we, we got to talk a little bit about our connection, not just as neighbors. We don't want to get into the politics of the block or anything <laughs> like that. We don't want to talk about favorite friends or favorite neighbors. Oh, you know, yeah, no, we don't want to get into uh, that. In, in case anybody ever listens to this podcast besides uh, yourself who lives on the block. Um, but let's go back just for a second and talk about the 2019 playoff run. Any memories that we had that we might have been in the same space during that championship run? Yeah, I think my prevailing memory is being really stressed out. Uh, I watched some games here in the house with you guys, which was just additional stress because everybody is stressing together. But by the time the finals came around, I had to watch some games at home because I was not comfortable being around (laughs) other human beings. Uh, But uh, I remember after Kawhi hit the shot, um, I remember coming running out of my house. It was probably 1130 at night or something, and I was just standing outside the window. jumping around like a madman and I uh, came in and uh, yeah we all had a little celebration which was uh, which was nice so that was uh, that was nice long suffering raps fans that's right gives that's them right. a joy yeah. yeah 
Now, on our block, for those who don't know, uh, without giving the, the street name away, it's, it's not unusual to have people yelling in the streets at 11.30, depending on the substances or beverages they might have Correct. <laughs> had. So we really had to make sure it was someone we knew who was yelling on the front lawn. And of course, it was John. Uh, and yeah, we, we, we've, we've watched a few big games. We've obviously celebrated moments together. It's good to hear that our man, uh, Brandon Duvel, who used to live on the block, is not alone in his isolation of watching games. He should be isolated. I mean, Celtics fan doesn't deserve to be living on this block, if you ask me, but it's not an official policy. Yeah, that's true. Uh, he admitted on the pod uh, just a few weeks ago that actually his kids are isolated from him. His wife won't let him be in the same room as him because of the language. Oh, right. Right. Uh, that he uses. He's just a that's, bad role model. That's intense. <laughs> well, what can you expect from the Celtics fans? Yeah, no class. All right. Well, let's get to the pod. Uh, you and I grew up the kind of same era, so this will be fun in many respects. We're both old. <laughs> old heads. Old heads. Uh, not old media, but but <laughs> but old heads. Um, and so this would be a different conversation than if than if Zaya was on the pod. You and I both, uh, maybe because of our height, maybe because of the era we were kind of forced into the guard position, the point guard position likely. And so a lot of the, the, the style, the game that we brought uh, to the court, maybe to our teams or the guys we looked up to uh, were point guards in the league. Um, and, and it's a special position. Zaya and I also, uh, sorry, Zaya also fits into that point guard role. Um, so we have a special place for point guards, but we're gonna talk about who are those guys? Top top two, top three, who knows? We might even get in the top five. Who are those guys who influenced your game specifically? And maybe we'll talk about kind of, you know, games they played and maybe, who knows, jerseys that you bought or money you invested right. <laughs> into their career. Jerseys were expensive back then, man. Yeah. Dang, dang. Uh, and I'll share a little bit too, but this is a, really about your love for the game, your love for point guards, and let's get to it. Uh, before you played, here, here's a question I, I honestly have no clue about. Before you played, did you watch the game first? It's a good question. I actually started watching right around the same time I started playing. I remember I was at uh, the sleepaway camp, um, and I remember we had a basketball court, and uh, just I don't know, it was my first summer or second summer. I was shooting around and one of the older kids came and he gave me a little instructional on how to shoot. Uh, nice. And I got my neck shot in and just from there I was hooked on the game. And so I started watching right around that time. I was probably 10 years old. So this is like, again, I'm old. So mid, <laughs> mid 80s, let's say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and also if you younger listeners, you know, we didn't have the internet around, obviously. <laughs> right, right? right. And basketball was not yet popular in Canada. So That's true. yeah. We would only Leo Routens wasn't a thing. Leo Routens not a thing. We didn't have Jack. Um, so it was basically a weekend game on CBS or ABC, right? And then playoffs uh, in college basketball. So uh, there wasn't an opportunity maybe to see as many players, see as many games, get immersed in NBA culture uh, as there is right now. So my first memory is watching Showtime Lakers. Wow. And that's actually, shout out to Brandon, how I developed my original hatred for the Celtics. <laughs> because you had the Showtime yeah. Lakers with Magic playing, you know, against the sort of boring, like, uh -huh. you know, seemingly older Celtics. Uh, and I just, I remember sort of rooting for the Lakers early on because it's a more exciting brand of basketball, Magic, obviously. <sighs> but the first point guard I remember really uh, liking uh, was Magic's good buddy, Isaiah Thomas. Okay. The original Isaiah Thomas. Yeah. Isaiah Thomas Sr., I guess. Um, and it's funny because I would later become a Bulls fan and hated the Pistons, naturally. Um, I think another team that Brandon likes also. The <laughs> the bad Chad the Cecil Thomas. won't be, uh, <laughs> well, he'll appreciate uh, your love for the Pistons. Yeah, yeah. But I remember watching uh, Isaiah, and so he was just, uh, you know, this incredible, you know, he's probably six feet, six foot one, maybe. Um, just, you know, amazing tight handle, could take over games at that position too. Uh, so he sort of captured my imagination early on. I remember we went to some auction as a kid 
growing up and there was this autographed picture from Isaiah Thomas that we brought home and I displayed it very proudly on my mantle in my bedroom uh, for a while. Um, and then I think like from Isaiah, uh, you know, there were these NBA guys that I really liked. I remember when Tim Hardaway Sr. Yeah, you tapped them. Yeah, yeah, the killer crossover. He came into the league and he was on TMC with Mitch Richmond and Chris Mullins. And I love uh, watching Tim Hardaway. I tried to develop a bit of a crossover. I mean, I want to say too, you know, in terms of guys who influence my game, you know, I don't want to be uh, in a backhanded way insulting these guys because I don't know how much of their actual skill level that I incorporated. <laughs> <laughs> but you tried, but you tried. Yeah, I tried some of the moves that I saw on TV anyway. But I was really big into college basketball back then also, which has sort of dropped off a little bit mm. in more recent years. But uh, Kenny Anderson at Georgia Tech, who was followed by Steph Marbury, Jason Kidd when he was at California. I was a big Syracuse guy growing up. Sherman Douglas, the general with the Orange Men. So wow. I liked a lot of those college point guards also, some of whom didn't enjoy you know, the same level of success when they got to the, uh, the big leagues. But um, yeah, those were the guys uh, growing up that uh, I really liked. Oh, nice. You? Now, you and I have shared many things in common, and up until about 30 seconds ago, you and I were step <laughs> for step, and then you had to mention Syracuse and Sherm Douglas. I was a Georgetown fan, as, ah. as listeners know, and uh, listen, all the good Syracuse players, they, they did great in college. And then they get to the pros and their game can't translate. So, how <laughs> <laughs> dare you insult Ronnie Cycling? <laughs> My brother was a Syracuse fan, so I had to hear about Derek Coleman oh, and yeah. Sherm Douglas for like a decade, even after they uh, they graduate. But Sherm yeah. Douglas, yeah. Sherm Douglas, uh, I still believe, at least at the college level, was the best alley oop passer of all time. Any thoughts on that? <laughs> he was. I mean, Sherm Douglas was not the most exciting player, but they called him the general because I think he just ran a tight chip for an offense and really, you know, was just really reliable, dependable. And uh, he was a good passer, not like flashy, but um, yeah, I mean, I remember back in the, it's funny you mentioned Derek Coleman because I remember, I think my first Sports Illustrated that I ever got had Billy Owens on the cover. Oh, Billy yeah. Billy Owens, yeah. another Syracuse Orange man, was supposed to be the next Magic Johnson. And, yeah, they had like a decent NBA career, especially the first few years. He was not the next. <laughs> Derek Coleman, maybe untapped potential there as well. Right. So there are guys from Syracuse who went into the league, maybe who didn't uh, realize their full potential, uh, alas. But then we had guys like Mello who came in, who uh, kind of redeemed uh, that a little bit. Anyway. A little so, bit for the first half of his career. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But we won't go into that, man. We'll stay friends yeah. <laughs> on this pod and, and talk more of things in common. Yeah. Uh, okay, well, let's start with Isaiah, okay? Yeah. You're 9, 10 years old. Uh, you're watching Isaiah. You got love for his game. What did you take into your game from Zeke, who they nicknamed, uh, you know, Isaiah Thomas, that name? What did you take from his game? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I was always uh, a little growing up, not that I'm, you know, huge now, but I was a short <laughs> kid. Like, I didn't right. have my growth spurt until, like, grade 11, you know, high school. So uh, early on, just in terms of dribbling, keeping the ball really low, and Isaiah was really good at that too, like when you watch highlights uh, of him, and just things like dribbling through the legs, right? Like I wasn't watching a lot of guys uh, growing up, not a lot of games on uh, the old television screen, so trying to you know learn some of those crossovers and just dribbling through the legs, getting into the lane. Uh, he was a gifted passer also, and I was preferred passing the ball to shooting the ball myself you know how unselfish i am <laughs> hopefully my better half doesn't listen to this um so yeah i think those elements of just keeping the ball low um trying to get by my guy some of that you know between the legs dribbles mm -hmm. and uh being an unselfish passer i think that was stuff that uh, i got from isaiah uh, sort of at an early stage uh there was a dance in the late 80s that a hip-hop artist kind of, I guess, put on the, the pop culture scene, MC Hammer with the typewriter. I don't remember if you know that move, that dance move, but uh, I remember Isaiah Thomas having these dribbling, like dribbling drills, and it looked like he was on the typewriter, like individual fingers he would go down, and I remember seeing all these guys now doing the same thing, but for me, he was the first guy whose hands were so strong and quick for such a small guy. I don't know if you remember that kind of 
dribbling stuff that he used to do. Yeah, I, I guess I don't remember the uh, the specifics, but uh, I just I remember him just having an incredible control over the ball uh, and handle, and he didn't he just seemed to have a different floor game than anybody else in the league at the time. But you know, I also remember watching him in the playoffs when he had uh, you know that one of the most famous games of all time when he got uh, he just busted his ankle against the Lakers and he scored like. 20 something points in the fourth quarter like you know it was like a flu game before the flu game <laughs> and he was legitimately injured i mean uh, there's a 30 for a 30 documentary that i just watched actually last week um you know the espn documentaries on the bad boys and they're actually showing a close-up of how swollen his ankle got after that injury they Dang. were worried he wouldn't be able to put on his shoe and he just like you know toughed it out and this is you know a little guy taking over uh, a game also. So when you're a little guy and you're seeing someone like that who can just, you know, take over a game like that, it's, uh, you know, kind of inspirational uh, in its way too. Because, um, yeah, it's it's rare to have point guards. I think it was more rare back then to have point guards who could really just sort of, you know, take over a game and be the guy on the team. That's who Isaiah was for the better part of his career. Definitely, definitely. Uh, of the guys that you had mentioned earlier, who would be, of those point guards or influencer game, who would be the guy that kind of resembled Isaiah Thomas the most, do you think? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I feel like um, Hardaway, when he came into the league, um, still I small, still small, a real bulldog, um, maybe a bit flashier in some ways, but again, a super tight handle, the killer crossover. Yeah. Um, would still make the nice pass, um, you know, could hit the a shot off the catch or off the dribble. Um, he was almost like a different, I mean, he's not in the pantheon, you know, in the same discussion, obviously, right. as Isaiah. Yeah, but right. He kind of reminded me of that a little bit. Also, six feet, nothing, I mm -hmm. think, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, built, uh, you know, very strongly, mm -hmm. and what have you. But, um, yeah, I think maybe there was a little bit of that uh, with Hardaway. Uh, and I'm not sure, I'm trying to think of some other point guards, like, you know, the Kenny Andersons and Steph Marbury's of the world, they, you know, these are like the Brooklyn guys, yeah. I think, like a Bronx, yeah. you know, uh, coming in the game, um, but, you know, still with the tight handles, uh, I mean, Steph Marbury was a more athletic uh, version of that point guard, I think, than some of those other guys. Right. Um, but yeah, I think those guys, I don't know if I'm missing anybody. It's a long time ago, man. Hey, man. I know this is like right. 30-something years ago, but yeah, yeah, those are the guys I remember. Now, for listeners that didn't get a chance to watch Tim Hardaway or haven't gone back to YouTube and checked out you know, highlights of, of Tim Hardaway, even though his son, Tim Hardaway Jr., plays in the league right, right. Uh, right now, uh, can you explain to folks what the killer crossover was? Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he had like, more than one crossover move, but the UTEP uh -huh. two-step was him going between the legs in one direction and then very quickly and suddenly shifting with a crossover in front of him to the other side. And he would sometimes do this off the break, like in full sprint, and it was just like a bam-bam uh, move. And you can watch the highlights. There's no shortage of the YouTube highlights. It was just a recognized, you know, even guys today who talk about best crossovers. I mean, Iverson obviously uh, became pretty famous for his crossover. Sometimes carried the ball a little bit, but we're not <laughs> Wow, just hammering Georgetown now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Got to uh, put in a little zinger against the Georgetown guys. But Hardaway's was just pure. There's yeah, no, like, yeah. you know, controversy over carrying or whatever. It was just a bang, bang. Uh, you know, simple in its own way, mm -hmm, but just, mm -hmm. you know, incredibly uh, effective. And, uh, yeah, yeah, I remember that fondly. As now, a team. now, how many weeks, months, hours did you have to put in before that crossover, the killer crossover, was part of your repertoire as a basketball player? You know, it's funny because when I was playing ball, obviously not quite NBA level here uh, where I was playing, so the competition <laughs> wasn't as stiff. But my crossover, uh, I was never able to really, even in my own deluded mind, do that crossover, that version of the crossover, uh, nearly that smoothly. So my crossover that was effective for my purposes and people that I was playing with was a more simple kind of change of pace where I would kind of lull my defender to sleep a little bit, just be dribbling to the right kind of slowly, like, you know, pretend like I'm looking, surveying, you know, where to pass and just quick for a step 
change direction right in front of my body, flow by the guy. Uh, I was probably a little bit quicker back then too. So that kind of uh, worked for me a little bit more. But I did practice the killer crossover. I had a hoop growing up uh, on the driveway. So for sure, you know, I was practicing some of these moves I was uh, watching on TV. But uh, yeah, I could never quite get as comfortable with it. So, yeah, 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 yeah. I was able to go uh, from the right to left and then back left to right really really good even to this day when i'm shooting outside with my daughter uh, I, I still got that down but when i would try to go right to sorry left to right and then back right to left for some reason yeah. i just could not collect it quick enough right. to make the the forward dribble like i could yeah. i could maybe kind of make it a step back but I could never like get the momentum and the timing of it. Yeah, oh. yeah. I feel like Hardaway's was predominantly right to left through the legs and left to right in front of him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Too, which is what I was more comfortable yeah. with also yeah. when I was trying it. And so that's maybe just a feature being right-handed for some right. reason where you're picking up the ball and whatever. The other crossover, sort of crossover that I like to do, uh, and I don't know, James Harden maybe is a guy who's sort of known for this. It's where you just kind of go between the legs, bounce, 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 bounce. You're crouched low. Yeah trying to get your defender off balance you know you don't know which direction you're going to go and i kind of like that one too because it was like then a test of my first step versus the defender's first step and if i can go quicker off that um it was a way to get by the uh by the defender so that was the other one in my bag uh it's it's interesting that you talked about the speed of hardaway's crossover versus some of the types of crossovers that we've seen since Hardaway's, you know, obviously you've mentioned AIs, but there, and then you've mentioned Hardens, there is this kind of lolling guys to sleep or just kind of waiting, getting that timing, yep. you know, and, and being shifty enough and having that first quick step. I remember Isaiah doing that quick, quick bang, bang between right. the legs, just kind of, but it wasn't, he wasn't trying to lull the guy to sleep. It was just similar to the killer crossover. Like I'm just, diverting your attention to my left side to just bring it back to right. my right. Right, right, right. Incredible yeah, stuff. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it, it was amazing. And actually, I remember, too, um, this is more of a create space, but through the legs dribble, I think Alvin Williams was the first guy boogie on the Raptors. There you go. And I remember, um, you know, driving forward, going from the back through the legs, right, and then yes. stopping on a dime. Yes. His defender would be, like, five feet off. Pulling up, and that's become a much more like common move that you see a lot of guys using now. But I remember before Boogie, a lot of guys doing that. Of course, I'm a biased Raptors fan. Right, so right, I, right. I remember really uh, loving that move too, and trying to. I was a bit older at that point, but trying to incorporate that into my game also. Good space creator. Yeah, as a, as a guy from Philly, Alvin Williams probably had somebody that that did that out in philly oh, yeah. that, that he perfected but <laughs> for, for our for our purposes we'll call it a raptors crossover yeah yeah, yeah thank yeah. you al nova uh alvin williams for for sharing that uh you had you had sherm douglas tim hardaway uh um isaiah thomas you also had mentioned um kenny anderson yeah yeah now yeah. a lot of folks if they didn't watch a lot of early 90s basketball both at the college game and at the pro game wouldn't even know that guy even though he was probably mentioned more in hip-hop music than some of the other guys that we've talked <laughs> right, about right right right, right, right um right. tell yeah. us about kenny anderson a bit uh, you know, Kenny Anderson, so I think um, that Georgia Tech team oh when they were in the Final Four, I think it was 1990, and I'd forgotten actually, Dennis Scott was also on that yeah. team, this guy Brian Oliver, yeah. so they were kind of like... Lethal Weapon 3, yeah. <laughs> right? I'd forgotten about that. Nick. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> and there was a lot of hype about Kenny Anderson, I guess, when he came into the league, because he was also known as like, I think it was the Bronx anyway, but he was like this prototypical sort of street ball guy, one of the first maybe mm -hmm, mm -hmm. to really come into a big program um, in college. And the other thing that I also liked about Kenny Anderson was that Georgia Tech had a bit of a rivalry with Duke. So another right, right. team that many of us, I think, can share in our disdain. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Demo. We're back to commonality. <laughs> so if he was going against Bobby Hurley, you know, on uh, the Blue Devils or something, Gosh. easy guy to root for, Kenny, uh, Kenny Anderson. <laughs> but Kenny Anderson was just another guy 
with crazy handles. <sighs> crazy handles. You know, when you're playing at a major college program, you have to scale back some of the flash, you know, a little bit and whatever. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. you know, again, you can look at YouTube highlights uh, of the guy and just, um, yeah, amazing tight handle, could get into the lane at will. Uh, a flashy passer also. That's, you know, even today, my favorite part of the game is like a good pass. Mm -hmm. You know, I love the dunks, the threes, everything. But yeah. I always just was drawn to like a really, a really nice pass. And yeah, Kenny Anderson had a little pizzazz, I guess, uh, in this game. Um, gifted passer too. Um, you know, it was a different game back then too. There wasn't as much of an emphasis on the three. So he was a right. decent jump shooter, but he wasn't like a bomber like Dennis Scott became, you know, when he went into uh, the league. So those weren't uh, point guards that I necessarily emulated in terms of, like, shooting uh, prowess. Even though it was probably my biggest skill as a small kid playing point guard. I was a really good shooter, like, growing up. But anyway. So, yeah, Kenny Kenny Anderson was just uh, – he was just fun to watch. Uh, and, you know, he had a decent pro career. He mm -hmm. was in the league for a while. Um, another guy maybe who didn't become the superstar that right. some people thought he might yeah. become. He may have been an all-star once or twice, uh, hard to remember, but fun, uh, fun college career for sure. Definitely. I, re I remember watching that uh, Georgia Tech team, Lethal Weapon 3, named after the movie Lethal Weapon 3 that had come out just around that time where, where they were in the Final Four. And I remember watching them and thinking – this team is going to kill Giants. Like, they're going to slay Giants. Like, UNLV, obviously. Right, right. That Fab Five Michigan team. Uh, Dukies that we, we rip on the pod constantly. Um, and they just had so much firepower. Like, little height, but so much firepower that you thought, yep. they might just run the table here. Yeah. Um, that was exciting. Now, Kenny Anderson... Different from the other guys that you had mentioned, he was a lefty. Right, right. How did that maybe influence your game that he was a lefty? I, you know, it's funny. There's some lefty players that I really loved uh, growing up. Two others, Stacy Ogman. Oh who's always yeah, a Plastic Man. Plastic Man, <laughs> just elegance, grace, and air. You know, like I, I think I told you one of my favorite layups ever. Just this memory. It was actually against the Celtics. Um, <laughs> Thank you very much. There's a YouTube highlight of it. It's like two and a half minutes into the video. Brandon, <laughs> make sure you watch it. I'll send him the link. <laughs> just this swooping lefty layup going around the defender, but he was just really smooth, uh, and I, I liked watching him. I always loved you know, the great athletes. And then Calvert Chaney was another guy, Indiana Hoosiers. Chaney, yes. Because he just had, I don't know if it, cause he was left-handed or something, it was like an optical illusion, but his jump shot to me, was just butter. Like right. there was nobody who had nicer form on their jump shot to me than Calvert Chaney, uh, and so I think um, I tried to incorporate. I changed my shooting form as I got a bit older and bigger because when I was younger and I had a really good shot. It was like one of those set shots pushing out from my chest a little bit to get the strength, and then I tried to make it sort of more of a you know natural proper mm. shooting form. And I remember watching Calvert Chaney and trying to kind of get that on the right side. I mean, I do not have. A smooth shot like that, but um, yeah, there was just you know, there's something different about the lefties. There were a lot of guys, right? Yeah, that's like, right, that's right. Players uh, growing up, so yeah, Kenny Anderson definitely caught my eye, I guess, uh, from that perspective. Yeah, man, yeah, Kenny Anderson uh, on that left side, just like he, it would just mess with you, right? Yeah. And yeah. and sometimes he'd come down the court comfortable with the right hand, and you'd forget. You know, the, right. the guy defending him, not me personally, but yeah. you'd forget that he was a left-hand dominant and he would just rip people apart. Yeah, 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 guaranteed. <laughs> yeah, nobody was staying in front of him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so I guess Kenny Anderson also, because he was that early 90s, because he had that influence from the street ball game, he almost bridged kind of two eras, you know, as you talk about Isaiah mm -hmm. Thomas, uh Tim Hardaway a little before uh, him, and then Kenny Anderson kind of brings about a new point guard style where it wasn't just mm. about distributing the ball. Uh, it wasn't just about like quick movements, but like really that kind of ball dominant uh, point guard that like is almost an offense unto himself. Now, Kenny Anderson yep. didn't get that opportunity the same way that a Luka Doncic would. Right, right, right. Um, but I think he, like, he gave some imagination 
Oh, 100%. Yeah. Right. And you could see it like, you know, remember TJ Ford, obviously, watching <laughs> the raps, right? Wow. Not that like small guy, but like you could see some of that game with him too, you know, the controversy was TJ was looking for a shot too much. Jose, we're not going to get into Calderon versus Ford. <laughs> right. That's another right, podcast. That's a whole like, 10 podcast series. Um, but yeah, no, for sure. I think those guys had a uh, big influence on point guards that came down later, who, you know, realized that they could sort of bring a bit more than just the Sherman Douglas type role that, you know, like a sort of solid exactly. point guard who sets up yeah. the offense, doesn't do too much, but, you know, if there was space to do more, if you could do it within, you know, your coach's <laughs> bounds and, uh, you know, balance the game <laughs> properly, uh, whatever. But, um, yeah, yeah, no, 100%. As I like the way you put it, it's a good bridge into the new era. Right, right, right. Yeah, it would be interesting if Kenny Anderson, you know, was born now, so to speak, or, or like in the last 20 years, Yeah. what yeah. his, his skill set uh, would have brought to the table. And Steph followed him right out from Georgia Tech, right? Kenny Anderson goes to the league, and then Steph Marbury comes to Georgia Tech. Oh, yeah. Uh, also, Great. So yeah. A pretty good back-to-back contingent of, uh, of point guards there. And, you know, Steph Marbury also just took that to, like, another level. You know, a bit of a bigger yeah. point guard. Kind of a team, Tim Hardaway, but... Kenny Anderson, you know, mesh. Yeah, even just more explosive. Yeah. You know? um, uh, good jump shooter. You can hit the three ball. Uh, also, I mean, Hardaway was a good three-point shooter. Um, but yeah, there was a sort of continuation of that style of point guard, uh, I think after that. Um, but you know, there's a, I mentioned at the outset too, uh, Jason Kidd when he was at California and he was like a bit more of a throwback to yeah. a smaller version of magic. Yeah, absolutely. Almost. And again, crazy good passer. So, mm-hmm. uh, I always loved watching, uh, watching him play too. So, um, yeah, you know, there's just, that's a great thing about B-ball. There's just so many different, you know, styles of play and players that come in. And yeah, Jason Kidd was doing his own thing. Definitely, definitely. Now, before we'll get to Jason Kidd in a second. I want to make sure that we talk about Jay Kidd. Um, but what was it like to be a shorter guy on the court, having watched the best of the best in the NBA, these guys that we've mentioned, Kenny Anderson, Sherm Douglas, uh, even Stephen Marbury, but maybe less so, Tim Hardaway and Isaiah Thomas, them being able to play the game at such a high level and being like six inches to a foot shorter than the majority of the league. What was that like for you when you went to play the game having watched that? Yeah, I mean, it was uh, was huge because, um, you know, you know growing up that the average height in the NBA is like whatever, six, 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 seven, Right. right? And then you're seeing these smaller guys, and I was always enamored. I remember even, you know, there was Muggsy Bogues, Spud Webb, obviously. There was also Michael Adams. I don't know if you remember Michael Adams. I think for the Bullets back in the days. They were known. 5'10 guy, really good, like, jump shooter in particular. So just seeing all these guys who were basically six feet and under being able to play in the NBA, never mind being like Isaiah, but even if you were just playing in the NBA. Right, yeah. um, You know, that was definitely a bit of a confidence Booster, but you know the advantage of playing point guard when you're growing up, you know, even if it's just like three on three, you're playing with your buddies as you're the distributor, right? And so everybody likes you. <laughs> Versus if you're the guy, you know, there's always that guy who just wants to, you know, get as many points as possible, doesn't pass the ball, you know, showing off uh, and what have you. And some of those guys maybe can play really well and they're hitting a lot of those shots, but people want to play with a point guard who distributes the ball, who passes the ball, who's unselfish uh, and all that too. So I think for me too, being a little guy, it was a good way of fitting in, being, you know, appreciated, well-liked by other guys I was playing with. Even if I wasn't, you know, putting up a lot of points, you know, I was setting people up. I was always happy to pass first, um, that kind of thing. But, you know, everybody loves seeing a little guy, you know, just take off and be quick, you know, Absolutely. get a basket that you wouldn't expect and that kind of thing, right? So, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, so it was all right. But, you know, again, where I, growing up in Ottawa, the level of competition that I was playing with, it wasn't as much of a detriment being, you know, shorter than... Fair, I wasn't fair. playing with, you know, seven-footers or anything like that right. uh, growing up where I did, but, uh, yeah. Now, I was maybe a year or two behind you in school, but I remember late high school... Uh, I played for the city of Mississauga, and we played against Ottawa, the Guardsmen. That was oh, the, right. the yeah. kind of select, the regional team for Ottawa. And they had two, like, big country-type white boys on their team. 
who just owned the glass. Right. Just owned the glass. <laughs> six, eight each. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, so I don't remember Ottawa being short. So you, <laughs> you have a different perspective of Ottawa than I remember because of the guardsmen. But... Right, right. <laughs> there were some, you know, you would have some guys who were, yeah, like over six, 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 seven. It just wasn't as common. And in my high school also, I remember our big guy, uh, Steve Anderson, he was like, sort of an Ottawa high school version of Charles Barkley, like a really good player, but, you know, he was sort of undersized, but strong, yeah. you know, could jump, um, had a really good game. But like on our team, I was at Sir Robert Borden, like we had a really good senior team uh, when I was there and uh, I wasn't playing on that team, but we had some good players. Uh, they got, uh, they went on, I think Steve Anderson went to maybe Simon Fraser okay. or St. Effects with yeah, yeah. point guard, Brian Lee, who was really good. Steve did any of those guys, but anyway, we didn't have any real big guys on our on our high school team. And I remember just seeing other high school games, and when I played too, it was rare to see like really big guys. And if there were really tall guys, they probably weren't very good. Also, right, they hadn't right, grown into their bodies yet or <laughs> yeah, whatever. So yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, one more question before we talk about Jake Kid. You had mentioned you uh, cheer for the Bulls for a number of years. You even wearing an iconic Michael Jordan uh, picture from one of the dunk contests, no doubt. Yep. Um, what about Bulls point guards? Is there a point guard that stands out for you? Is there a guy who maybe even influenced your game? If you were watching me play growing up and you had to guess which point guard did John emulate the most, you probably would have said John Paxson. <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> to be like, you know... Uh, brutally uh, honest and self-reflective uh, because I had a good shot and I wasn't, okay. you know, I mean, I had a pretty good handle, I could dribble or whatever, but like, you know, I was, I didn't look like Isaiah Thomas or something right, right. out there. And when I was playing, especially when I was playing organized ball in high school, like I sort of knew my role. I was setting up the offense, right. you know, getting into the guys and if I was open or something, shoot the ball uh, and that kind of thing. So the Bulls growing up, I mean, Michael Jordan, when I discovered him, I think I, the first game I saw him play was when he hit that shot over Elo. Yes. Famous rip, shot. Rip Craig Elo. Rip, rip the Cavs. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and I would just, I got hooked on Jordan. He was like a real life superhero, yeah, basically. Absolutely. To me, right? But the Bulls never had, um, you know, famous point guards. It was like, yeah, it was John Paxton, BJ Armstrong, Steve Kerr, Ron Harper Sr. All these seniors, man. Like yeah, Ron Harper, Jr. Ron Harper Jr. just came to the Raps. Gosh. Yeah, I mean, I remember Ron Harper when he was on the Cavs, actually. He was like a right. lesser version of Michael Jordan, and they had a yeah. rivalry and whatever. Yeah. And then he played point guard uh, on a Bulls team that arguably was maybe the best defensive team of all time. And you think of like Jordan, Pippen, Harper, Rodman. Rodman. You know, like, I mean, all those guys in the starting lineup, those guys are all plus, plus, plus defenders. Yeah. But, uh, you know, they didn't have anybody. Um, that's not why I love the Bulls, basically. You know, they had point guards who did their thing. Yeah, but, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Guys off the bench, Randy Brown. I mean, there's just, there's nobody, like, super exciting. No. I remember playing for the Bulls at point guard during their run. But they didn't need anybody to fill that role, I guess. Yeah. All right, let's get to J-Kid. Because there were guys uh, in that era that probably, like you and me, grew up watching Magic Johnson uh, I've said many times in the pod that I had a, a VHS instructional video of Magic Johnson that I watched for probably three straight summers. Awesome. Um, so I can only imagine guys, you know, in our era uh, of our vintage um, being, um, you know, influenced, uh, shaped by, by Magic Johnson. However, the difference between guys like you and I and Jay Kidd <laughs> yes. and maybe even a Penny Hardaway yes. is they actually had the height <laughs> to yes. almost match Magic Johnson. Um, what was it like watching Jay Kidd? What, what did he bring to, to, the, to the league, to the game that really stood out for you? Yeah, you know, there's some guys that you watch and it just seems like they were born to play basketball. Mm. Like they just know where everybody is on the court. They make it look effortless. They're almost always making the right pass, the right play. And they just have like a command of the game that just seems like, you know, intuitive. They were born with it. And I think my first impressions when I was watching, you know, there was hype. I remember when Jason Kidd went to California 
Um, I think everybody just sort of knew he was going to be like a spectacular player. And, you know, again, we didn't have YouTube highlights, but right. uh, he was just sort of known as this really gifted passer and whatever. And so watching him play, it was just that guy was like, okay, this guy, you just knew he was going to have a long, very productive career uh, in the NBA, just active defensively, also uh, making sort of the simple passes sometimes look easy, but also making the hard passes. Mm-hmm. Um you know, he had, a, like, a decent... He could get into the lane, too. Great handle. His jump shot was sometimes a little hot and cold. Mm-hmm. I remember even as he got, you know, into the league later, like, he never knew if he was going to hit the three. Uh-huh. Remember when he was on the nets and all that. But uh, <laughs> he was just... A, he was a genius, you know, like Luka Donakic, you know? Right. Genius player. Um, Bird, Magic, these guys, mm-hmm. just... Mm-hmm. LeBron, like, they just... It's like they're playing chess too, right? They see the plays develop beforehand and they just can orchestrate, you know, what they want out of it. I don't know if I'm articulating it well, but yeah, J.K. was that uh, that guy, just a really cerebral um, player and just an amazing passer. Uh, You mentioned his jump shooting, which which a a number of guys at the point guard spot, you kind of have to have a jump shot. And Jason Kidd, in a lot of ways really didn't he worked on it really hard yes. but he really didn't have he wasn't a natural shooter he wasn't no. a skillful shooter 100 uh, a buddy of mine and i um thanks to this one friend of mine we had a nickname for him it was asin because he didn't have a j <laughs> <laughs> uh asin kid Ouch. but yeah. what's crazy about jason yeah. kid as much as we knock his his shooting he's like third all time or four fourth all time in three pointers made. Oh, seriously? Which I is ridiculous. That. Look was, at those yeah. numbers. This is oh, a wow. bona fide Hall of Famer who really could do it all. Yeah. Um, you know, Magic, one of the things that I always heard growing up when I would watch his games was the announcer would say, He's going coast to coast. And Jason Kidd for me, way more than Penny Hardaway, yeah. he brought that back to the game right like he could right. grab the rebound and go he was fast he was fast yeah Gosh. yeah yeah and you just knew there was a nice pass coming uh on the other end uh, but yeah I, I mean with magic too i remember um if you watch highlights of his there's almost always this pass that he made on the break where he fakes the ball to one direction that he's going to pass and he brings his arm uh-huh. across the other way uh-huh. and pass it i practiced that playing too because that was like an iconic uh pass on the break too that uh you know it was just fun to try and you know emulate to the extent <laughs> that four foot whatever i was you know <laughs> magic junior uh could do but yeah i mean those guys charging down the lane it's just you know the excitement um and i think that also became really um sort of instructional for you know teams like phoenix suns like pushing the ball down yeah, right yeah like, absolutely. don't wait for the defense to get set yeah uh yeah just race down the floor and uh fast break points are easier anyway right so yeah, having that fake point guard who could do that, uh, yeah, was something. Definitely, definitely. Uh, as I got older into the game, you know, I had uh, guys like Magic Johnson and AI who were uh, heavily influenced my game. Unfortunately, I wasn't as tall as Magic, and I certainly didn't have the quickness or the offensive giftedness of, a, of an Allen Iverson. I didn't have three-point shooting as much as I would have liked to. I was entirely streaky, John Starks-esque. Right. I'd have a game where I'd go 0 for 8, and then I'd have a game where I'd go 6 of 8. You know, that was kind right. of what my, my shot was, was like. It was all over the place. But as I got older and watched Jason Kidd, remembering Magic Johnson and not being under coaches that were trying to kind of shackle point guards to just be half-court distributors, I would do that way more. I would grab the rebound and go because the defense isn't set. Right. I right. know that I'm if I can get out in front of that set defense, especially as a shorter guy, especially as a guy who doesn't have a great perimeter jump shot, decent jump shot yeah. you know, from 15, 16 feet out, but – you know, not a great perimeter. So let's get into the transition. Oh my gosh. You know, as a, as a early 20 something playing against men, like grown ass thick dudes, (laughs) I needed to be in that transition. Jason Kidd gave me an aspect of my game, uh, that really like allowed me to be effective once I got into my twenties playing against my peers. Uh, pretty special. 
Uh, all these guys brought really unique things to the game. There's no doubt with the athleticism, the, the court vision, um, uh, the passing, uh, sometimes the physicality, as you talked, you know, with, with Tim Hardaway Jr., just like bowling ball, like just you couldn't get the ball because of how strong he was. But there's a point guard we haven't talked about. When we were growing up, we didn't have him to, to watch. Um, it wasn't until maybe a few years later when he wasn't even playing at a high level on TV because he's the son of an NBA player. We had this opportunity, this little window into his existence. But there was a guy that probably would have helped us a whole lot. <laughs> Smaller guys, maybe not gifted with crazy speed or crazy hops. And this guy just won his fourth championship. Tell me about Steph Curry and, and what you wished you could have had in him being a role model or, or an oh, man uh, grown up. Yeah, I mean, Steph Curry is just one of these rare guys who very literally transformed the game. Absolutely. Um, just warped defenses around him and the threat of his shooting and obviously bringing the range back out to almost half court and you have to guard him anywhere on the court and him also having the freedom that I think he felt, you know, internally and also he got the blessing from his coach just to shoot whatever, yeah. you know, and to use that as a weapon. And I've heard Steve Nash talk about how, like, he sort of wished, because he was such a good shooter, like an amazing shooter also, but he was also more pass first and, you know, I think... If he was playing more or less at the same time as Steph, you probably would have seen Nash also kind of evolve to maybe do that kind of thing a bit more. But anyway, growing up, if we would have had Steph Curry to watch, I think all of us little guys who were shooters <laughs> over on that side would have. You see it now, too. I mean, Steph's already like influenced guys like Trey Young and Big time. everybody. You can watch high school videos. You know, guys are shooting from like, I don't know, but their coaches are very excited about it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like high school students. We're shooting like between the half court line and the three point line. So I think, you know, it would have been huge having a guy, also a small guy, um, amazing handle, being able to get a shot off, you know, anytime he wants, basically, too, which uh, was also crazy to see because as a little guy, you get, you know, worried about getting your shot blocked, and especially if a bigger guy switches onto you, and just the way he can also create space uh, for himself, but also still very much. A gifted pastor, a guy yeah. who wants to make his teammates better. Absolutely. Just the total package um, uh, as a point guard. And, you know, again, like, I don't know that I would have, when he was playing in college in Davidson, I wasn't nearly as confident that he was going to be like a perennial all-star revolutionary player the way I was when Jason Kidd was playing fair. Yeah, fair. Uh, in college. Because, you know, there's always a bit of a... I guess, hesitancy with a little guy, um, you know, are they going to be able to take the physicality? Are they athletic enough for the NBA? And so Steph Curry had these questions coming out of college, but it didn't take very long, obviously, to uh, to dispel all that poor Minnesota uh, who passed <laughs> a pretty hard time on that, uh, on that draft. But um, yeah, I mean, he just, uh, to his credit, but he, you know, watching him play also kind of like Jason Kidd, just a genius also for the game, like the passes that he can make, uh, the comfort that he has with the ball. But, you know, that kid came out of the womb dribbling the ball probably. And Amazing. we all saw him yeah. when his dad, Dal, was playing with the Raptors and Steph would be taking shots, you know, like there's no question he was going to be an amazing shooter if nothing else, right? So, but yeah, just a gift to be able to watch that guy play. Yeah. Um, there there are a few moments in, in my life before... Steph gets to the NBA where, where he, a memory was seared into my mind. And one of those Davidson years, I can't remember if it was 08 or 09, uh, Davidson played Georgetown. And Georgetown, I think, had like a double-digit lead at one point in the game. I don't know if it was the first half or the second half. But Steph just roasted in the tournament Georgetown, like second round, Knocked out Georgetown, who is like a two or three seed. Um, Davidson just goes on this crazy roll. I think they beat Wisconsin the next game. Uh, incredible. Like made all the big teams uh, get shook, you know. Yeah. Yep. Um, and so I, I remember when he got drafted, I was like, 
oh gosh, this this may happen. Like he's he's that smart. He's yeah. just has that much smarts. Um, and I wish growing up there was an imagination from from coaches to allow myself uh, and I'm sure others, many others like yourself, to be able to play as a point guard or just as a guard mm-hmm. off ball more. Right. To be as effective with all the aspects of your game. Um, you know, as I got older and I got to see guys like Steph, before Steph, Reggie Miller, right. I would say, you know, I'd handle the ball maybe half the time because I knew that I could be effective running circles around defenses, running around picks. Right. Um, but the coaches back in the 80s and 90s didn't have that imagination of a no. point guard role. Right? You had to see it, right? I mean, it's... Uh... <laughs> It's funny, though, because there was a guy also, uh, I wasn't, I'm old, I'm not that old, but Pete Maravich, uh, a <laughs> oh player before gosh. his time, yeah, uh, also, yeah. and, you know, obviously a productive NBA career, but he was definitely ahead of his time also, but it's a little bit surprising almost that his style of play wasn't more immediately influential right. for guys. It kind of took a while for, you know, people to bring some elements of that uh, of that uh, style of play that Pistol Pete had yeah. uh, to the game too, but you're right. I mean, you know, like the '80s, right? It was bad boys, you know, Celtics. It was like pound the ball in the post. Um, there was just a different style of game, and it was really only when the three point shot, I think, also, um, which is also kind of funny because math has not changed <laughs> since the '80s. But it took certain coaches to figure, well, if we can get a certain percentage, yeah three shots in it's just math i think popovich might have been like the first guy to really think about that at least in the nba sphere so mm. i think that opened things up a lot more for point guards also and also to play off ball if they could hit the outside shot uh, and that kind of thing so it's yeah it's crazy to see how the game has evolved since when we started watching it um the premium placed on being able to um you know shoot uh, from outside uh, and that kind of thing. One of the things about Steph Curry, though, that I think was a bode well for him at Davidson was the fact that he came up so clutch in the tournament, right? Right. I mean, I'm yeah, not going to yeah. pretend to be. We all make very bad scouting calls. <laughs> guys who are who are not going to make it. We're all very confident when we scream at the TV when uh, somebody is drafted. Who? Uh, you know, Sorry, Scotty. Remember. We've <laughs> apologized. We love you. I Scotty like the Scotty Bix for the record. <laughs> but I think for Curry, like for some of his doubters, like you know, hopefully they at least question themselves because he came up so big in the tournament for Davidson. It's not like he had a great supporting no, cast, right? No, not even He was close. like, with all the attention on him, you know, he was... Yeah. So he had that mental toughness, Absolutely, right? Yeah. Uh, which is like a whole other component of the game. Isaiah had that also, mm-hmm, you know, some mm-hmm. of those guys I mentioned. Uh, and you got to have that too to be successful, obviously, uh, in the NBA. I'm very mentally weak, as you know, so... <laughs> one of several reasons I never made the big leagues, alas. <laughs> Uh, okay, there has been some conversation on, you know, the big media networks. There's been lots of conversations in podcasts to our friend Brandon Duvel. Something we can agree on is uh, the magnitude of Steph's game. I'm not going to go to the level that Brandon took it. That's for another day and another pod. But I'm curious, has Steph Curry placed himself? in the top three point guards of all time? Is he ahead of Isaiah Thomas? Those are two different right. questions, I'm right, sure. But right, right, Where do you put him in, in the in the pantheon, the constellation of, of point guards? Of yeah, this? yeah, yeah. I, okay. it's, you know, I know uh, Andre Iguodala made some waves, as guys do, because I think he put him, like, number one, and granted, he's not the most uh, object, objective. <laughs> Observer being his teammate, but I think there's definitely an argument to be made for sure top three. Um, I mean, first of all, four championships speaks for itself. Not that I'm one of those guys who says you need to win a championship. John Stockton is still an all-time great. Right, for sure. He never won a championship. I'm happy not to have mentioned John Stockton until now because I didn't like Utah growing up either. (laughs) (laughs) But, I mean, when you look at Steph's game, uh, the way he's revolutionized the game, the stats, obviously, um, you know, I think everyone was worried about him at the beginning of his career because he had those ankle issues, yep, but he yep. suddenly became extremely durable also. Um, and he just, I don't, I can't think of anybody, you know, you can talk about defensively where he is compared to some other guys who maybe are more well-rounded. Mm-hmm. Not that he's a huge defensive liability, I'd say, but 
Offensively, I don't know if there's anybody from point guard like who's better than Steph has been. Again, just never mind his stats and his scoring, yeah. the assist, the way he warps right. the defense, which right. is you can't. Janky defenses. Yeah, you, know, you have to watch the games, but like <laughs> right, right. the attention. I mean, you know, he's benefited from playing with Clay, who's another like yeah. Yeah. you know Elite. all-worldly yeah. shooter. But even before that, I mean, just he has warped. Like who else has like had that effect and that impact on the game? So I'm comfortable saying he's top three. Um, at this point, and after the playoff run that he just had, also, and where the team was really leaning on him, also, it's not like Durant was playing with him anymore. Right, Draymond right. was yeah. not like contributing what he used to. Yep. Clay wasn't playing as well. Iguodala is not getting up off the bench <laughs> at this point. No disrespect to Iguodala, who's an amazing player in his time. So Steph was really carrying them, right? Yeah, the yeah, load yeah. was uh, on his shoulders, and he at 34 comes through <sighs> like with you know Incredible. against also the best defense. We'll give Brandon Matt the best defense <laughs> uh, stats-wise in the league. So, I don't know. What's the argument against him being in the top three at this point? Yeah, for sure. Would yeah. you put him against your childhood idol, uh, <laughs> Isaiah Thomas, or are you going to leave that one? No, no. I'm not uh, <laughs> I'm not loyal to my childhood idols. And the other thing is, like, I've been able to watch a lot more of Steph than I was able to watch of fair, Isaiah. Never fair. mind that when I started watching the game, Isaiah was already in the league for a few years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I just, I couldn't watch. There's no league pass and whatever, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So I've just had, you know, the pleasure of being able to watch a lot of Golden State games and Steph Curry games. And um, I don't know that there's anything. I think Isaiah may have been. Like, you know, that, if I think about that Lakers game where he's playing on a busted ankle and that, like, competitive fire that's almost like Michael Jordan-esque mm. kind of thing, too. Like, I think Steph is definitely a huge competitor and that kind of thing. But maybe Isaiah could take over a game in a way that Steph hasn't always done in his career. But, you know, I'm reaching for something to find right, where right, Isaiah right. would have an advantage somewhere over, uh, over Steph. And, I, yeah, I would put Steph over Isaiah for sure at this point. Um, yeah, it's always hard ranking against, you know, different generations. Right, Everyone loves right. to have that debate. For you sure, know, for you sure, put, for sure. Bob Cousy and you put him in the league now. Right, 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 right. Where would he be, you know, versus like a Wilt, I think would still be a pretty dominant force. But, um, you know, I think Isaiah, if he was coming up now, he would have also changed his game. He would have been more of an outside threat. Mm-hmm, and he mm-hmm. probably would have been a better player than he was. Right. You know, growing up in that kind of thing. But as the games were and as they stand, I don't know, it's hard to... For me to think of a guy yeah. that I'd pick easily above Steph in that right. uh, echelon. That's impressive, man. I mean, I think Steph Curry's a top 10 guy of all time. I think he's he's right up there in the top two of point guards all time. And a lot of it has to do with, as you said, how he's warped defense. The attention that he has, whether he's on the ball or off the ball, and how you know the court has been changed, has been stretched yeah. because of... Uh, his game and all aspects of it, um, it's it's pretty unbelievable stuff that we got to watch this much. Of yeah, it. and I also want to say, most importantly, maybe because you know basketball, it's fun to talk about, but it's a game, it's entertainment. That dude is just fun to watch. Absolutely, he is a pleasure Absolutely. to watch, and yeah. he has fun playing the That's game. True. So That's even true. though he has that killer, you know, he's a competitor, but you watch him, he just has joy on his face Definitely. when he's playing, and he's fun to watch. And as a fan of the game, right, what, uh, what more do you want than that also? So, yeah, yeah, I would yeah. say, as I've said before, I'll say it to you uh, here on, on this recording, that uh, it's been most fun for me uh, as a lover of the game to watch Steph the last two years than it was when KD was on his team and right. he was younger and all that uh, because he's found even more ways to impact the game and he's found more ways um to better himself really challenge himself yeah um and yeah. you expect guys like you know rookies like scotty barnes or young guys like og to do that you expect guys who who have gaps in their game like demar uh you know when every summer you'd hope that he either learn how to play defense or right. press the ball right. to see steph curry do it Right. Put 15, 20 pounds of muscle on yeah. himself, for instance. He's ripped. Like, you know, sometimes I'm looking at the screen and, like, I'm looking at this guy's, like, when did he, like, develop that body? But, you know, I think also with his ankle issues, like, he had to make sure he had to stabilize That's his score. Right. I remember That's seeing, right. like, videos of drills and stuff. And, 
you know, he takes a pounding too when he goes into the lane. So credit to Steph, you know, he just worked on his body, always worked on his game. Uh, and it's not a chore for him, right? He's one of those guys, like, when he's 50, he's going to be throwing up threes in his backyard. Right, right, right. Gym, right? Like, he just he loves the game, uh, too. So, yeah, I mean, I can't say a bad word about the guy, really. Yeah, Apart from yeah. the fact that he plays for a Golden State. <laughs> not my, you know, it's not the Celtics. It's okay. I can accept uh, the Warriors <laughs> championship in honor of Run TMC. There you go. Else. There you uh, go. Yeah. At least he's married to a, a Toronto woman, you know, Markham. That's right. Uh, GTA. He's got the Toronto roots also. That's right. So, yeah, you know, that's right. Uh, with his yeah. dad. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, man, this has been a ton of fun. I know when Zaya hears this, he's going to be jealous. I know Courtney, having heard you talk about TJ Ford and her favorite Raptor of all time, Jose Calderon, she'll be all interested right. Right. In, in talking to you. Happy back. We can have a debate about uh, Calderon versus Ford. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Those two would love to talk about that with you. But uh, thanks for your time, midday, showing up, uh, letting the government wait on that lunch break. Uh, appreciate it, man, and look forward to having you back on the pod. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. Uh, listen, uh, my dedication uh, to the government is only <laughs> surpassed by my dedication to basketball. So it's all right. Thanks, man. Beautiful, man. All right. Peace.